if we ever needed the Lord, we need him now. Amen. The things that are going on nowadays, it's horrendous. And I know you've been keeping up on some of the stuff that's going on. But we need him. We need him. So I'm glad we pulled away from the world a little bit to hear what God has to say. And he's holy. And he's righteous. And we're going to hear some things today that are very, very uncomfortable, I can guarantee you. So we need him. We need him to comfort us. We need him to prepare us as we hear what he has to say. So let's pray. Lord, we need you. Not just every hour, but every moment. We need you. Christ, you're our solid rock. You're the one that we stand upon. Firm foundation. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the way and you are the truth and you are the life. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us as we wait before you to give us understanding, to give us wisdom. And, Lord, even to uh, somewhat, as I, as I say it, uh, the stomach, some of this, this, this horrendous stuff. Lord, we're going to be talking about your curses, and it's not going to be fun. So, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand. I pray that you'll help us to look beyond the ick factor and into what you really are saying. Help us, Lord, to love you. Help us, Lord, to realize that you are a God who never changes. And for that, we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Pastor and author um, Rock Bottomley, I'm not making that name up. He shared this story about despair diverted. While on vacation, my daughter Bethany was speeding down a California freeway with three teenage friends. One of them, named Jody, said she had dreamed the night before that they were in a serious wreck and that she, the only one with a fastened seatbelt on, had survived. Well, hearing that, everyone fastened their seatbelts. Later, their car swerved into the grass median and rolled. The investigating officer looked at the car and said, if you had had your seatbelts on, the outcome would have been a lot different. Rock bottomly continues. Where did Jody's dream come from? Consider the message. A warning of a danger that turned out to be very real. Consider the tone. An urging to do something right and reasonable. Something that traveling teens often forget. <laughs> Consider the effect. Save lives. Who speaks in this way? Bottomly says. A loving father. Well, we're not going to talk about dreams today and how God communicates and, and all that sort of thing through dreams, but we are going to talk today about a loving king who warns his people of possible impending doom. And not the run of the mill kind of warning, such as Willy Wonka and Mike TV as he's ready to zap himself into Wonka Vision Land and, and Willy Wonka says, Stop, help, come back. Let's call this Yahweh's message to Moses, warnings on steroids. But tragically, no one completely heeds God's warnings, do we? Either then or now. Because we're all sinners. And just to give a little sneak peek, when Israel actually settled in the land, though it took a little bit of time, the warnings that he told them turned into actual curses to include cannibalism. But that's a little later on in the message. We'll talk a little bit about that. Our passage for today 
is not a pleasant one by any means. If we were to simply cover Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 68 today and just stop right there, we might be tempted to despair over the plight of God's people or even to falsely accuse the Lord. See, we're going to see on this massive list, one of the warnings that Yahweh gives to Israel are these words. I will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. See, they don't want to be on the business end of that statement. I don't think anybody does. Can I get a witness on that? But you know, that doesn't sound like the God that we've come to know and love, does it? When we're in a season of grief and pain, things can get distorted. And depending on how traumatic the pain is, we can get stuck. And we can conclude that this is how things are always going to be. Because some see their lives full of pain and suffering. They conclude that there is no end to their pain and no way out. Sometimes they take their lives. And I don't have to tell you the latest stats because we all know that suicide is on the rise. And some of this has to do with those who have made a so-called gender transition. And I say so-called because there really is no such thing. See, God has assigned our sex at birth right down to the very DNA of ourselves. And as your pastor, let me strongly urge you and encourage you to reject the current cultural premise that the idea of gender is a social construct. The truth is, gender is tied to our biological sex, full stop. Tragically, though, many have bought the lie that gender is a social contract. The so-called gender reassignment industry is big business. Many precious souls underwent therapy and surgery and came to overwhelmingly regret what they did to themselves, and they tragically, some of them, made a final exit. Regarding COVID. Many leaders have cautioned that we need to not make the cure worse than the disease. Now, there is much information emerging as we speak and many, many personal anecdotes, which brings precious souls to conclude that indeed the cure is far worse than the disease. And they have concluded their lives are not worth living. And they, too, have made a final exit. Twenty years ago today, and and Greg had, had mentioned this, Many jumped to their deaths from the World Trade Center over their impossible situation, either face being consumed by the intense heat right behind them or going out the window right in front of them. And some chose the latter. Greg mentioned Debbie Downer. This is an intense message today, and I wanted to help set the tone for this. But, you know, when we go through these warnings today, it may appear as though Israel will live out a horrific snapshot of their reality, forever captured in time through their rebellion against the Lord because they were not able to perfectly toe the line. You know, and if we're not very careful, we're going to conclude that God sort of forgets things like grace and mercy and forgiveness. But whether or not we believe God has somehow forgotten grace and mercy and forgiveness as we read these verses, there's something that I must emphasize here. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is called immutability. God is the only being in the universe who is like this. God does not change. 
Because if God was able to change, even in one iota, he would cease to be God. We constantly change, don't we? But God never has, and God never will. He is never without grace, or mercy, or forgiveness, or love, or holiness. Now, sometimes it may seem as though that he shows one attribute in greater measure than others, but he is never without any of them. All of them are present in him. As I mentioned, we're going to read one warning after another today in its entirety. Verses 15 to 68 of Deuteronomy 28. I want us to feel the weight of these warnings turned to curses that the Lord will pour out on his people with devastating ferocity should they fail to heed the warnings. And after we go through the curses, I will point out just a few things that will help us to see that just as there was more than meets the eye regarding the Lord's blessings, which were poured out in truckloads, he promised that. There is more than meets the eye here regarding the Lord's warnings concerning his curses. So ready or not, here we go. Hear now from God's word, his warnings to his people on steroids. And so I won't make matters worse by subjecting you to my voice droning on and on and on. I've asked Greg and James to help it, uh, with the reading, and though I'm going to begin, starting at verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall be you when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you were entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation or inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness. And you shall not prosper in your ways. And you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually. And there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat any of it. Your donkey shall be seized before your face, but shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, but there shall be no one to help. 
Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. The nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continuously, so that you are driven mad in the sight so that, it, uh, that your eyes see. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your feet to the crown of your head. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there shall serve other gods of wood and stone. And you shall become a horror, a proverb, a byword among all the peoples when the Lord your God will lead you away, shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the fruit of your ground. The sojourner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. All of these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord your God will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock, until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all the land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given to you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb and the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in distress with which your, your enemies shall distress you. The man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother, to his wife he embraces, and to the last of his children whom he has left, so that he will not give to them any of the flesh of the children whom he is eating, because he has nothing else left, in the siege and in the distress which your enemy shall distress you in all your towns. The most tender and refined woman among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she is so delicate and tender, will be grudged to the husband she embraces, to her son, and to her daughter the afterbirth that comes out from between her feet, and her children whom she bears because 
lacking everything else, she will eat them secretly. In the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you in your towns. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness, sicknesses grievous and lasting, and he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt with which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also, and every affliction that is not recorded in this book of the law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you were numerous as the stars in heaven, you shall be left few in number, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart, failing eyes, and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, If only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, If only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sight that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. Wow, is right. Poor people. Rebellious people. Now that we're finished reading through these warnings, let me remind us of a couple of things. First, these statements are part of the divine record. What we just heard is inspired scripture. Just as inspired and authoritative and powerful as John 3.16. This is not a mere story. This is Yahweh giving real warnings to his real people in real time and real space. Second, this list is not hyperbole. It is not exaggeration used by Moses to make a point. As I mentioned, the Lord warned his people of unspeakable consequences of their sin, even the sin where Israel would actually cannibalize their own children. I won't bother to read the horrific details of Second Kings 6 because that is what's there. But I can't think of a more disgusting, more desperate thing than doing this with one's own children due to lack of food. So what do we do with this unspeakable, inspired portion of God's word? How are we to understand this? Is there a way to take the truth of God found here and seamlessly incorporate it into truth that we find more palatable in other parts of God's inspired word? Truth such as his love and grace and his mercy and even the list of abundant blessings that Moses wrote in the first part of this chapter. Well, I think there is a way that we can do this. And in so doing, my prayer is that we will see 
a grander, more glorious picture of the Lord than we ever thought possible. It's a pretty tall order I've made for myself, and I hope that I can pull this off. But let me briefly outline five reasons why Yahweh would want to curse his people. And I see a spiritual progression in these verses, though it's not in the order in the text. The first of curses will come on those who demonstrate an ongoing lifestyle of disloyalty to the Lord. Now, this first one is found in the first verse, verse 15. Let's look at that again. See, if we were Israelites listening in on what Moses said back in the day, we would understand Hebrew. And we would therefore hear something like this. O Israel, if the way that you live your life proves that you are disloyal to Yahweh, insistent on living in rebellion against his ways, then all these curses shall come upon you. In other words, verse 15 does not give a once and done notion in the original language. In essence, Moses is saying this, prime candidates for the Lord's curses are those of you who claim to have a relationship with the king, and then by your lifestyle, you are telling him, I don't love you. And you're doing this through blatant disobedience to his ways. That's the idea behind this thing. And let me remind us two things at this point to show the patience and the mercy of the Lord. The Lord doesn't want to zap his people. He wants to show mercy and he wants to show kindness to them. So let me show you a couple things here. First is in the number of prophets that Yahweh sent to his people to call them back to himself. Entire books in the Old Testament, and you've read through some of them, bear the names of the prophets that the Lord sent throughout the nation time and time again, calling his people to come and return to him to repent of their ways. And also remember how the Lord described himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. After the Lord committed, or after Israel committed horrible idolatry, right at the foot of Mount Sinai, right at the place where Yahweh gave his ways to his people. By all rights, the Lord should have annihilated his people right then and there. But in his mercy, the Lord gave Moses a magnificent disclosure of his character. Here's what he said to Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilt, visiting the iniquity on the, of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And by the way, when he talks about steadfast love, he's talking about covenant loyalty. The covenant he made with Abraham that he swore by himself that he would do. The unconditional covenant. But what was Moses' response to the Lord's self-revelation there? In verse 8, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. What a relief Moses must have felt from Yahweh himself. The second possible reason the Lord will send curses is because Israel will have developed an attitude of ingratitude, despising the Lord's blessings. In verses 47 and 48, the people will not serve the Lord with joy and gladness because of the abundance that the Lord gave them. Because of their lack of gratitude, the Lord basically told Israel, if you refuse to joyfully and gladly serve me, I'll allow your enemies to take away what I've given you. For after all, you don't know what you got till it's gone. See, it's greatly offensive 
to the Lord when his people become ungrateful regarding his provision. That's the standard reason, isn't it? Those who are ungrateful, what happens to them in their hearts? They begin to develop a, a sense of entitlement, don't they? Or even arrogance. And they claim that what they have somehow makes them better than other people. And given what the Lord so abundantly blessed them with his stuff, the danger is that Israel would take their focus off of Yahweh and his, their focus would be on his gifts. Even perhaps adopting an attitude of, quote, using him to get what they want. But we know the Lord can't be used, can he? The third reason why Yahweh may send curses are more along the lines of allowing the foolishness of their sin to overtake them. Look at verse 20 again. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken. The phrase here, you are destroyed, is literally, you will destroy yourself. Because Israel will live their lives in rebellion, the Lord will send confusion and frustration on them. The people won't be able to think in godly ways, and they will make foolish and harmful choices. And the Lord then will take away his hand of protection, and they will eat the bitter fruit of their wicked labors. But they will have no one to blame but themselves. For example, in our day, you know, Susie can't blame anybody else for her amputated leg above her knee if she gets behind the wheel falling down drunk and slams her vehicle into a, a tree. There may have been a number of reasons or, should I say, excuses why Susie took her first drink that night. It may be anger issues or money problems or marriage gone south. Pick a reason. But now she has to live with the consequences of her dumb decision. In short, the Lord will take away his hand of protection and allow circumstances to take their course. This, too, will be part of the flood of curses Yahweh will pour out on his people. Fourth possible reason for the Lord sending curses on his people will be because they have forsaken him. In verse 20, again, forsaking the Lord is what he, he uh, indicted them with, and what he warned them about. You know, forsaking the Lord is often mentioned in the Old Testament, if you read carefully. And most of the time, forsaking the Lord is associated with them going after other gods. In other words, Israel will experience great curses because of their heinous sin of spiritual adultery. We call that idolatry. Twice in these verses before us today, the Lord through Moses says, if you want spiritual adultery, I'll let you do so. In fact, I'm going to give you a little help. I'm going to kick you out of my house and send you to the house of your lovers, and there you will serve other gods. In other words, part of the reason for the exile that Yahweh was pronouncing upon them, he was going to send them away because of their lust to serve other gods. As we've seen several times in Deuteronomy, idolatry is the sin that angers Yahweh the most. Yahweh chose his people as his own. Their multiple acts of idolatry, their spiritual adultery, was a deep betrayal to the king and the affection he has for them. And all of us who've ever been betrayed by a friend, and especially those who are or have been married and have experienced the pain of adultery, can feel something of what Yahweh feels when his people go after other gods. The Lord says, go for it. Have at it. But you can't stay here in my house. Hence the reason for the exile, so that Yahweh can cleanse his land 
his sacred space. And the fifth possible reason Yahweh will send curses on Israel is because their sin tarnishes the Lord's reputation among the nations. The witness of God's people reflects upon the character of God in profound ways then and now. That's true. It is true that the Lord is totally above it all, though. You know, he is unaffected by his creatures. He will never change no matter what happens here. Not right. Sin will never reach him to change him one iota. Again, God is immutable. He does not change regardless of anything else. However, Moses told the people that these curses will be meant as a sign and a wonder against them. Now, it's interesting that Moses uses that phrase here because where else what would be classified as a sign and a wonder proclaimed in the world regarding the deeds of Yahweh? It says taking Israel out of Egypt with destructive power. He destroyed Egypt. He took his people out of the house of slavery and the nations knew it. And they were then terrified of Israel, but not Israel per se. They were terrified of Israel's God. The testimony of Yahweh among the nations was at stake here. And because of the sin of Israel, something had to be done. In verse 25, the Lord warned that he was going to make Israel a horror, a proverb, and a byword when he sends them into exile. They will become a laughingstock to the nations. This has deep implications regarding the Lord's testimony to the nations. For back in the day, when one nation overtook another when a military conquest, it was the gods of the nations who claimed the victory. So we can learn another lesson here regarding the character of the Lord. He has no qualms about pouring out his judgment on the people for the sake of his glory and his name. He will not spare his justice for the sake of how a person feels. When the Lord gives his final word and says, no more, that's it. He will not take into account how remorseful or tearful a person is when he gives them his final judgment. Ask Noah. The Lord gave humanity 120 years to repent. And then the flood came right on time. Ask Moses himself. He begged the Lord to allow him to go into the promised land. And because he struck a rock, instead of speaking to it, God said, Moses, you are permanently disqualified from entering the land. You did not treat me as holy in the sight of the people. The bottom line here is, the Lord is zealous for his own glory. He will show himself holy among his people in front of the nations. Let's look again at the first part of verse 63. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So rather than falsely accusing the Lord, as so many people do today, that he sort of takes some kind of sadistic pleasure in ruining and destroying people's lives, we need to see this in light of Yahweh showing his holiness among the nations. It's as if he's telling his people, you know, if you're not going to show the nations the holiness of my ways, then I'm going to show it to them as I apply my chastening hand upon you. I will pluck you up out of my land and send you into exile. 
the Lord warned Israel over and over. And true to form, and according to the curses, he fulfilled his promises, though those promises were very negative. Why? Because God is faithful to himself. But now in the midst of all the chaos, all these things, all this devastation, let me point out something that I'm sure we've all missed. Did you notice that all of these warnings, these curses, were of a temporal nature? Temporal nature. All of them restricted to this life only. As terrible as these curses are, there is no indication of the Lord's cursing his people to hell. Tragically, there will be much physical death for many. But whether they are physical or emotional or agricultural or social or even Yahweh sending them into exile, these curses were reserved for this life only. But something was going to break over the horizon. Something of far greater importance than temporal blessings or curses. So fast forward many centuries. Much happened in Israel since Moses' dire warnings. So many curses, so little time. Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And in the days where Israel was living under the iron boot of Rome came a prophet, John the Baptist. He preached repentance to all Israel, telling people to get themselves ready for the Lord. He told them they needed a heart transplant done by the divine one, by the Lord. They needed their hearts of stone replaced with a heart of flesh, one that's responsive to the ways of Yahweh. Ergo, Israel needed eternal salvation. And their Messiah, the Lord Jesus, was and is the only one to provide it. So who was the Messiah? The promised deliverer, Yahweh in the flesh. He was the giver of blessings, the healer of the, of the sick, provider of sustenance, forgiver of sins, interpreter of God's holy word, teller of truth, fulfiller of messianic prophecies, and one in whom resides all authority of God. So I would like for us to turn now to Matthew 25. This is the parable, the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25, 31 to 33, to start off here, and see just how much authority the Messiah has. It's Matthew 25, 31, starting there. Messiah says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. The Lord describes the judgment day. All humanity stands at the crossroad, divided into two groups. The Son of Man named them sheep and goats, waiting to hear a verdict of their lives. What is on the right side of the throne of Son of Man is the realm of eternal blessings given to the sheep. Let's look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wonderful. God's sheep experiencing eternal blessings, not temporal, eternal. We remember how Israel experienced a tsunami of material blessings in Deuteronomy 28, but they won't hold a candle to what the Lord's sheep at the direction of the King Jesus, 
will experience. But what will the goats experience? Let's look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil as angels. The Son of Man will call the goats cursed. They won't receive temporal curses, but they will receive eternal curses. The destination of the cursed ones at the direction of the Son of Man, King Jesus, is eternal fire. As we read earlier, Yahweh's warnings, curses, as horrific as they are, even if they were poured out onto Israel, all of them at once will be no comparison as to the eternal fire that awaits the goats. King Jesus, Son of Man, the one in whom all authority of God rests. He finishes his dire warnings of curses and blessings in verse 46. And these, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous, the sheep, into eternal life. How sobering is this? The Lord Jesus gave us a peek into the future. What will that be like for you? For me? We all think, I'm a sheep. I know I'm a sheep. I know I am. Surely I'm not a goat. The reality, though, is the Lord will label every person who has ever lived. When we stand before the Lord on that day, He will have already declared our identity, and He will have already sealed our eternal destiny. And we certainly want to know how we can be labeled as God's sheep, don't we? We don't want to be goats. Notice what Jesus said about both sheep and goats. He gave them a list of the things that the sheep did. And he gave an identical list of the things that the goats avoided. Why did the sheep do these things? And why did the goats avoid them? It was all about their relationship to the king. Simply put, the sheep loved the king, while the goats didn't give the king the time of day. See, there was a change in the heart of the sheep. That's why they were sheep. And that resulted in changed behavior patterns of the sheep. Their lifestyles changed. Notice the response of the sheep when the king said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. See, the sheep were so busy with the task the Lord gave them because they loved him. They were unaware that it was Jesus whom they were serving. They even asked him, Lord, when did we serve you? Jesus answered them in verse 40. Truly I say to you, as you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers. You did it to me. And that begs a very important question that I think so many get wrong. But Jesus answers this question. Who are Jesus' brothers? The answer is fellow sheep. Fellow sheep. Not the outcast and downtrodden of the world. He says the least of these who? My brothers. These are God's people in need. In other words, when we as brothers and sisters in Christ meet one another's needs, we are serving the King, King Jesus. And that leads us to the ultimate question. How does one become a sheep? The answer, get reconciled to God. 
We need to be reconciled before King Jesus because one day we will all stand before him. See, as perfect man, Christ, God in the flesh, hung on a cross, the Father placed on him all of our sin, and when Christ died, all sin for all people was paid for, now and forever. Christ's resurrection assures us that the Father has made a way for us so that we, rebellious sinners, could be made right with holy God. So what is to be our response to all of this so that we can become one of Christ's sheep? I'll let the testimony of Paul's friends in Thessalonica explain this. He said, you turn, Paul said, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This, my friends, is how one becomes reconciled to the king. And as his sheep, we make it a priority to serve all of God's people, especially those in the family who have needs. Jesus calls these the least of these, my brothers. We serve those outside the family of God, sure, absolutely we do. But our priority is to serve fellow members of God's flock. So we've said a lot about God's curses today, temporal and eternal. And it's at this time that I think it's very appropriate that we take a moment, and I invite us to do this, take a moment reflecting on what we've heard. Imagine standing before the Son of Man. You have already been labeled as a sheep or a goat. You will have already been placed either on his right hand or on his left. See, when we pass on from this life, the Lord will have already labeled us. And the question before you and me right now, today is, are you right now a sheep or are you right now a goat? If you are a goat, my prayer would be that you would behold your God and that you would turn to him, that you would turn from idols and that you would commit yourself to serve the living and true God the rest of your days while you wait for his son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so I'd like for us just to take a moment and sit before him and to do business with him. If you are a goat, ask the Lord to make you a sheep, that you would repent and you'd embrace the gospel of Christ and the Christ of the gospel. You commit yourself to serving him for the rest of your days. If you are a sheep, ask the Lord, Lord, where am I failing in serving your, the, the least of these in your flock, your brothers? So let's ask the Lord to help us to be more sheeply. And if we're goats, that we would no longer be goats. Father, I believe we did see more grand glorious picture of who you are. I'm afraid, Lord, in our in our day and age, we have become too familiar with you. We sometimes picture you as someone who's just basically begging us to come to you. Lord, we've seen you today demanding of your people that they get right, that they serve you. Because you are the king 
subjects in the king, uh, subjects in the kingdom, have no choice other than to disturb you or to live in rebellion. Father God, we praise you for the fact that you own everything. This is your world. You own everything and in, 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 in us as well. Lord Jesus, I praise you for your death on the cross, for taking care of all of our sins. Lord, it is no longer a sin issue that we manage our sin. It's now a loyalty issue that we are to live loyally to you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you that we can walk in victory, walk in freedom. Lord, we get to serve you. Lord Jesus, on the on, you told us that on the day that we stand before you in, as you judge us, the ones on your right, the sheep, you said that uh, that they were faithful in serving the least of those, your brothers. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recommit ourselves to, to serving our fellow sheep, those who, in, who are in need. Give material goods, material blessings, and even emotional and spiritual blessings as well. Lord, we all have needs. Help us, Lord, to serve one another. And Lord, for all the goats, those on the sound of my voice who who have said, I don't want to be a sheep right now. I want to be a goat. But Lord, we know that we're not guaranteed. We're not guaranteed even tomorrow. So Lord, I pray that, that these folks, that they will repent and they will turn to you and they will become a sheep. Father, thank you so much for sending your son to us. Thank you for Lord Jesus being the good shepherd who laid down your life for us. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to follow you faithfully because we love you, because you have loved us first. So now, Lord, I pray that as we turn our attention to our giving and to our singing, Lord, that we will do these acts of worship because you alone are worthy. I will give you thanks and praise for these things in Jesus' name.